was the uh, senior high this last week and had a, a really good time uh, with the, with the uh, senior high kids and, and I'm, I'm still tired and a little sore, but I, I am recovering and uh, I did have a really good time, got to spend some time with a couple of our boys here and then some other boys and so appreciate your prayers um, this last week and appreciate uh, Jeff preaching last week and um, filling the pulpit then and then the week before that, um, Ton was here and appreciate his message and ministry to our church. Hopefully you had a chance to get to know him a little bit better and uh, I'm glad to be back in the uh, pulpit this morning. Romans chapter number 12, we are studying, uh, we're doing a series on the church. For those of you who haven't been here with us for the last several months, we're doing a series on the church, and we specifically have found ourselves uh, discussing the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church, and the main purpose of those spiritual gifts is to unify us and to manifest the Spirit of God. It is, it is His Spirit working in us, it is His Spirit working through us, and God has a special work for each one of us to do. And, and, and it will always, um, if done properly, uh, and done for the glory of God, it will always bring unity to the church. It will bring, again, the promotion of Christ, uh, the exaltation of Christ, and it will be the manifestation of the power of the Spirit of God and not the manifestation, possibly, of our talents or our own uh, personal abilities. Although God does use our talents and God does use our abilities, they are not the same as our spiritual gifts. Um, our spiritual gifts necessitate the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in them, while our talents and abilities do not uh, necessitate the Spirit's presence. Well, last uh, three weeks ago, we studied out of the same text of Scripture. We learned that there are 31 different gifts, or 31 gifts uh, mentioned in the Scriptures, and, and many of them are not just specific gifts, but they are categories of gifts. In other words, there's a lot of different gifts that flow from these gifts. We also learn that the gifts can come and go, and the gifts can change, and uh, the gifts are dependent upon or subject to God's purpose, God's timing, and God's place. There are times when God's going to use a gift, is going to introduce a gift when it's necessary, when it's needed. And, uh, and then that gift can go away when it's no longer necessary and needed. And we can go back to the first century church where the gospel was presented really to one group of people or one language group. And the Lord then introduces the gift of languages or the gift of tongues. And the reason he does that is that the gospel might then be spread to all different languages. And we don't see that gift being practiced today. And the reason for it is, is that we have the word of God in most different languages. And so therefore, there is no longer the necessity for the gift of languages. And I've, I've mentioned this before. Um, the gift of tongues, as practiced in the modern day charismatic church, was never the gift of languages that was given to us in the scriptures. It was never something that was not discernible. It was never something that was not objective. Today, it's very subjective, and it's, it's undiscernible. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are never subjective. They're always objective, and they're always discernible. So, so I, I say that to say that God gave us that gift because there was a need for it. 
so that the gospel could be spread into all the world. So, so the gifts, they can come, they can go, they can change, and it's always dependent on God's timing, God's place, and God's purpose. He is manifesting himself. He is doing this work. He is working and living through you. We learned as well that there are plenty of gifts for everyone, right? There are plenty of gifts for everyone. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that God administers or gives these gifts to all believers. And um, there's enough gifts that everyone would have at least one unique gift or a unique variation of gifts. I heard a preacher say this week that he has never found a person who had exactly the same variation of gifts that another person has. And his, his emphasis was, is that we're not only unique in our makeup as God created us, but we're also unique in our gifting. We're also unique in how God is using us in the world that we are in. So most of us don't only function with just one gift, but most of us have perhaps a variety of gifts. And, and God uses those gifts through us as he sees fits in different times, in different places, and in different ways. We learned as well that the giver, the organizer of the spiritual gifts is God. It is him working through you. It is him working through me. It's literally like we are indwelt by a different person. And many use the term that he is a, it is, it is an alien gift. It's not our gift, but it is his gift being worked and ministered through us. This is why we can't control it. Okay? We can't control. It's very dangerous to try to control your spiritual gift, to try to put it into a box. Because ultimately what you're doing is, is you're putting God into a box. You can't control when God decides to work through you, he's going to work through you. You can't control it. You can't restrain it. God is going to do what God is going to do. We can, we can respond to it, we can submit to it, and it becomes easier. Um, so the spiritual gifts are organized, they are administered, they are gifted by um, God. He is the one who orchestrates all things. He is the one who sees the big picture and is able to administer things in such a way as to bring unity, purpose, and future. He's always working out a plan that, that you and I can't see, right? We, we are... We are pretty decent at looking back and saying, oh, that's what God was doing. But we're very bad at looking forward and knowing what God is doing. But he's capable of doing that. That is why it is important that he ministers these gifts and we don't minister these gifts. We looked at the activation of our spiritual gift. How do we search for our gift? How do we steward our gift? And how do we stir up our gift for the Lord? And that's what our calling is. Our calling is, is to find our gift, to know what our gift is. It is to, um, it is to steward it, meaning to, it, is to, it is to manifest or to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit of God. A steward is someone who takes something that's not theirs and manages it, okay? And not in the sense of controlling it, but in the, in the sense of utilizing it, of using it. And we're going to unpack that a little bit further this morning on how do we do that. We steward the gift of God. 
What I'm doing this morning is I walked up here and I am stewarding God's gift in my life. I am not speaking to you in my own power. I am not speaking to you in my own strength, but I am speaking to you in the power of God's word and in the strength of the Holy Spirit. That's what a gift is. But how, what, am, what am I doing to, to steward the gift is I have put myself up here. By putting myself up here, I am stewarding the gift of the Lord. I'm not dependent on my own strength to accomplish what he's doing. It is he who is doing it. But, but I walked up those stairs and I stood behind that wall while Lloyd prayed and I walked out here and now I'm a steward of the gift of God. I put myself in a situation in which God can then manifest himself in and through me based upon my gifting. This is stewarding the gift that God has given us. And then to stir up the gift just simply means to affirm it, to know it. Paul says this, that he stirred up the gift of Timothy by laying his hands on him. And what Paul was saying was, is he just affirmed Timothy in his gift. He, he noticed it. You ever, you ever um, been around somebody and you just say, you know something, I, I noticed this gift in you. I, I noticed this about you. And, and they might have been thinking about that. They might have been contemplating that. And that's just a confirmation or an affirmation that, yeah, maybe God is wanting to use me in this capacity. I would say to you as well that we're afraid of doing that as a church, as a culture of conservative evangelicals. We're afraid of confirming people in things that we see God using them to do. And Paul said he affirmed Timothy. He affirmed him. He wasn't calling Timothy to go out and do this. He was affirming him. He was stirring him up in the gift that God had given him. And we can affirm those things. And we're not, we're not 100% right, are we? But is there anything wrong with walking up to somebody and say, hey, you know something? I really see God working through you in this way. And it's affirmation. And it's good affirmation. And, and sometimes we need that affirmation, don't we? I mean, sometimes we need someone to say to us, hey, you know, I really see God using you in this way. Have you, have you ever thought about letting God using you, use you further? And, and, and sometimes it's just those words and you're like, wow, I never thought, number one, I never thought that God was using me at all, Right? Right? But, but, but then secondly, it's like, wow, I never thought God would use me in that way. And it's just those words of affirmation, those words of encouragement that help people see what God is doing in them and what God is doing through them. This morning, I want to I go a little bit further in our study, and I want to look at this uh, deeper in regards to um, finding, stewarding, and stirring up our gift the title of my message this morning is The Essentials of Spiritual Gifts. Also, um, another way of stating it would be the keys to our spiritual gifts, the keys that unlock, the keys that unlock or open the door to God using us, working through us to accomplish his will by his power and for his glory. We, we must remember this, that when God does something with a spirit, when a spiritual gift is active in our life, it is God being active in our life. It is God's power, it is God's strength, it is God's wisdom, it is God's words. All of these things are an active part of us utilizing our spiritual gift. And it is always, it is always for his glory. As a matter of fact, everything that God does in us and 
for us and through us is always, always, always for his glory. And you might say, Pastor John, that sounds kind of selfish, but what's unique about that is that when God does something for his glory, it is always for our good. So it's he doing something for his glory that is the best thing for us. So it's not selfish at all. It's totally what we need and what we should pursue and, and, uh, and seek to find. This, this teaching of God working through us, of God working in us, of God using us to accomplish his will is, for lack of a better word, is somewhat scary. Um, the reason why it's scary is because when God works through people, people um, have the, they're, they're, they're capable of taking the glory for it, aren't they? They're capable of saying, well, this is me doing this, or praise me for doing this, or man, look at what I've accomplished, look what I've done. So the danger there is, is that somebody takes a gift that God has given them, or they've, uh, they've taken something that God has done through them, and they've shared in his glory. That's a very dangerous thing, isn't it? The Old Testament tells us that God doesn't share his glory with anyone. He will not share his glory with anyone. So we definitely don't want to share God's glory. But folks, let, let me submit to you that on the other side of the fence is we don't want to, we don't want to throw away this idea that God actually accomplishes his will through us. That God manifests himself through us today. In the Old Testament, God's presence was with mankind in the temple or the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. They could enter in the high priest could enter into once a year and make a sacrifice and be in the presence of God and see him and know him through that sacrifice and through other sacrifices. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we have the presentation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He actually walked amongst us. And you know what he said when he, when he left? When he ascended up into heaven, he said he was going to send his spirit. And his spirit was going to now be the now going to be God's presence with mankind. Where does, his, where does his spirit live and who does his spirit work through? It's us, it's the church. It's exactly right. His, this is a divine truth that is a very dangerous truth because God's spirit is manifesting himself, is working in our world today, is revealing the character and nature of God through you and through me. And we have to be careful with that, that we never take any credit, we never share in the glory of it. But at the same time, we never minimize it. We have, in some ways, as Ephesians 4 tells us, we have in some ways squelched the spirit of God from being able to be active, to from being able to be powerful in the world that is going on today because we fear faith. We fear walking in dependence on the spirit of God. Let me read a few verses to you. Philippians 2 and verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, it's God who is working in you, and you're to live it out. You're to manifest what God has worked in. 
John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. And what's unique, when Jesus says in, in that context in John 14, all the way through 16, when Jesus Christ says, I am going to the Father, the implication that he's making is, is that I am sending my spirit to manifest himself. He's not saying to these people, you're going to do greater works than I am. He's saying to them, the spirit of God, my spirit is going to continue to do my work in you and through you. We're not trusting in our ability to do anything, but we are indwelt by God. And because we are indwelt by God, there's nothing impossible for God to accomplish in us and for God to accomplish through us. Paul said it this way, Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. John chapter number one, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. Matthew chapter number five, Jesus calls us the light of the world. We are a reflection of his glory. We are a manifestation of his power. It is not our own This morning, I want to take in our text, I want to look at four things, four terms, four words used in this text to to help us in regards to how we we can function, how we can um, participate, if you will, in our spiritual gift. Remember, it is God's will, it is God's work, it is God's power, it it is God in every way working through you and working through me. Right, But there are some things in this passage of Scripture that are helpful for us to adopt in regards to how we view our spiritual gifts, how we look at ourselves in relation to these spiritual gifts. The four terms, if you're taking notes this morning, number one is submission, number two is sanctification, number three is sobriety, and number four is our standpoint or perspective, if, if you would like another word. How can we view ourselves in relation to God working through us? Our spiritual gift being used by God to, to manifest the glory of God, to minister the messages of God, to do all of these things. How can we view ourselves in relation to God working in us and God working through us. The first one is submission. He says in verse number one of chapter number 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. In other words, your bodies are no longer your bodies. They're God's body. They're God's hands and God's feet, we are called the body of, we are called the body of Christ. We are to present ourselves to God, a living sacrifice. Therefore, we function in life, but it's not 
we who are functioning in life. It's, it's our hands are Jesus's hands and our feet are Jesus's feet and our heart is Jesus's heart and our bodies is a living sacrifice that God might use us to manifest his glory, to accomplish his will and to carry out his work. That's who we are. Listen, folks, it starts with us giving our bodies to the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul was one who gave his body. He says, I am marked, I am scarred by the, by the things of Christ, the work of Christ. We give our bodies to Christ and to his work and to his spirit. We say, Holy Spirit, you use this body. It's yours now. You use it to accomplish your work, to do your will in this world. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 5. We're to give our bodies to Christ for his work. I thought of it this way. It's like an athlete who gives his body to a sport or a speaker who gives his voice to a message or a soldier who gives his life for a cause. Each one of these defines somebody who is giving their body for something. And the scriptures are telling us that if we're going to properly and effectively allow or minister the, the gifting of God in our lives, we're going to have to give him our bodies. Our bodies become tools for his service. Our bodies become tools for his work. Our hands become ministers of his work. Our voices become ministers of his message. We have surrendered, we have sacrificed, we have laid down our bodies for his service. Here's what he says in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine for which is debauchery, Okay, let me just describe that, or drunkenness. What he's saying is, is don't give your body over to alcohol. That's what he's saying. You ever watch somebody that's drunk? You ever see somebody that has lost the capacity to be in control of their own body? That's what he's saying is, don't give your body over to alcohol. Don't give your body over to substances to be controlled by them, but give your body to the Spirit but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, give yourself to the Spirit of God in the same way that people give themselves to alcohol and to drugs and to substances that totally control them 100%. Control their language, control their ability to walk, control them in every way. Do not be controlled by substances, but be controlled by God's Spirit. Give your body to God. Listen, there is nothing more important, nothing more significant, nothing more valuable that you can give your life to. When we think about our soldiers and our United States of America soldiers and we think of the causes that they fight for our country and for our freedoms and we honor them and we respect them and we thank them, but folks, the cause that they fight is not as great as the cause that we fight the person that they serve is not as great as the person that we serve. Give ourselves to 
give our bodies to the ministry and the mission of Christ. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, when you give yourself, when you give your body, when you give your life to Christ, he is in control. And he basically goes on in those next verses to describe something that's really, if we think about it, is crazy, right? How many of us go around speaking to each other in psalms and hymns? You know, we just kind of laugh at that. It's kind of, kind of funny, but that's what he says happens when somebody is controlled by the Spirit of God. Somebody who is always thankful, always respectful, always submissive. We give ourselves over to the work of the Lord. We give our bodies to his work. We put ourselves in situations where the Lord can use us. I would have to confess that I've, I've avoided more situations that the Lord could have used me in than I've actually pursued. I've purposefully walked away from situations that were scary that the Lord could have used me more times than I've pursued situations that were scary that God could have used me. Why is that? Because I haven't given my body to the Lord. It's not a living sacrifice. It's a selfish possession. Jesus says in Matthew 16, for whoever would be willing to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what will it profit a man if he finds or gains the whole entire world but loses his own soul? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You're a Christian this morning. You are not your own. Your body is not yours. You have been bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Give our lives, give our bodies to the Lord. Use them to do great things for God. Use them to, put, to be in situations where the Holy Spirit of God can work through you. I'm reminded of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which is the Great Commission. The Lord says this in verse 18, all power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. What an amazing verse. That verse is often left out of the Great Commission, but that verse is significant in the Great Commission. In other words, Jesus says, all power has been given to, all divine heavenly power has been given to him in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's our calling, and it's based upon the power of Christ in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Lord says in Hebrews chapter number 12, 
that we're to lay aside every weight and every sin that, that, that besets us or keeps us from moving forward and run with patience the race that has been set before us. Folks, listen, if we're gonna be tools and vessels for the Lord, we're gonna have to give him our bodies. We're going to have to give him our bodies. We are to become living sacrifices for the Lord. Number two, sanctification. In verse number two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing or that you may prove what is good and what is acceptable and what is the perfect will of God. Sanctification is the second part of us utilizing or being used by God to accomplish his purpose. Sanctification is simply the renewal. In the same way that we give our bodies to the Lord, sanctification is the giving of your mind to the Lord. We give our bodies to the Lord to be used by him. We give our minds to the Lord so that we think right We think on godly things. We think on the things of the Lord. We think on the things that matter in life. We're not focused on every other thing that's going on, but our minds have been committed to the word of God, to the law of God, to the work of God in such a way that when the spirit of God comes to work through us, to manifest himself through us, he has something to draw on because we have placed his word into our hearts. Psalm 119, verse nine through 11 talks about how does a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed to the word of God, by obeying the word of God. We give our minds over to the Lord. We don't fill our minds with filth. The Holy Spirit has nothing to draw off of if our minds are full of filth. We fill our minds with the things of God. We put as much of God in our minds as possible. When the Holy Spirit goes to work through us to manifest his glory through us, he has something to draw off of. Do you guys think that I come up here on Sunday? How many of you think it would be good if I came up here on Sunday and I hadn't read my Bible the whole month? I'm like, Holy Spirit, do a work, right? He has to have something to draw off of. And if our minds are consumed with this world, the Holy Spirit has nothing to draw off of. You fill, or we fill our minds with truth. We fill our minds with with things that are pleasant, with things that are pleasing to God, with with, uh, Philippians 4 and verse 8, think on things that are honest and true and and, and holy and and praiseworthy. We think on these things. In other words, we fill our minds with these things. It's not just putting ourselves in situations physically that God can use us in. I think that's so important. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. If God calls you to a mission field where there's danger, go to that mission field where there's danger. You're giving your body as a living sacrifice, but also you've got to give your mind to the Lord. You've got to give your mind to the Lord that he can use your mind and what is in there to minister his will and his work to others. He says, and do not be conformed to this world or do not be um, put into the mold of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or another way of saying that is be transformed by the renewed mind. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, chapter number two, you're familiar with it, verses five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We've got to give our minds to the Lord if we're going to be used by him to manifest his glory. Galatians 6, 8 says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Romans 8, 6 8, for to the mind, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the thing, on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, and it cannot submit to God's law. In, it, it, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. And we put ourselves in situations where God can use us but do we have things in our minds? Is our, are, are our minds holy? Are our minds pure? Are our minds usable by God in the situation that he has placed us in? And the only way that this happens is that we fill our minds with the things of God. How do we fill our minds with the things of God? We do it by studying his word. We do it by studying, I mean, really, ultimately, that is, the, that is the end game, right? If you wanna fill your mind with the things of God, you fill your mind with the word of God. Pretty simple, right? We give our body. If you want to be used by the Spirit of God, you start by giving your bodies to him. Lord, my body is your body. Use it however you see fit. Whatever situation and whatever scenario, I will no longer run from you accomplishing your will through me. I will no longer live a life of fear. I will now live a life of faith. I will walk into situations and scenarios knowing that your Spirit is going to manifest himself through me. And if it means at the cost of my life, the Apostle Paul says that whether I live or I die, it is for the Lord. But we've got to give our minds there. We've got to prepare our minds. We've got to renew our minds so that we can think right when we're in that situation or in that moment. Number three, we have sacrifice or submission, number one. Number two, we have sanctification, the cleansing of our minds. If we're going to be used by God, we've got to cleanse our minds. Number three is sobriety. We find that in verse number three. This is so important. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What is he saying here? It's one of the key elements to a person being used by the Spirit of God is that they be humble. Is that they be humble before God. He says not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to think of themselves soberly. The word soberly here just simply means that they think of themselves realistically. That they're honest with themselves about who they are. When God uses you to do something, my friend, when God works through you, 
and you walk away from that and you think to the Lord, Lord, I don't have any clue how you just did that, but I am so thankful for you working through this simple fallen human being. You've got it. If you walk away from a situation where God works through you and you think about how great you are and what you've accomplished and how, needed, how amazing it is that you can do the work of God, you've got a long way to go. You see, when God works his spirit, when God's spirit works through us and we look in a sober way, we understand a few things. Number one, we understand this. It had nothing to do with us. Zero. Well, you say, Pastor, I gave my body and I, and I prepared my mind. Listen, it had nothing to do with you. You can give your body and prepare your mind all you want. If the Spirit of God chooses not to work, do you know what's gonna happen? Nothing. Matter of fact, you can not prepare, give your body and not prepare your mind and he can still use you if he wants to. Anybody ever been there before? We have, haven't we? Do you know what he's saying to us in those moments? It's not about you. Give your body, prepare your mind. But you better remember at the end of the day, it doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with him. He is manifesting himself through us. Listen, folks, this destroys all limitations on what God can do through us. All limitations. There's nothing that God can't do through us if he so chooses to do. There's nothing. He is God. I would be the last ones to try to, last one to try to put handcuffs on God. There's nothing that he can't do if he chooses to do it. And he does it, and he uses his people to do it, and he tells us to be humble about it, to not be proud, to not be self-righteous or self-sufficient. You didn't do anything. I did everything. Even when it comes to our salvation, it's not about us doing anything, is it? Jesus has accomplished everything, even to the point of John chapter number six where he drags us to Jesus. He's done it all. And he continues to do it all. And what does he want from us? He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be thankful. He wants us to glorify him. For he alone is worthy of glory. Let me read a couple of verses to you. And I'm going to actually close this morning on this point, And we'll pick up the fourth point next week. Which is, what, which is much more extensive and, and so important for us to see how we view our spiritual gifts and how we view them and how it impacts their usability. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Or in other words, what do you have that you did not get as a gift? And the answer to that question is nothing. What do you have that wasn't given to you freely? The answer is nothing. If then you were gifted it or you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 
In other words, why do you boast as if you did something to get it? Here's what the Apostle Paul said. We need to think about this too. This is, these, are, these are pivotal things. We want God to use us in our homes. We want God to use us in our, in, our, in our children's lives, in our mates' lives. We want God to use us in these ways. God's given us a pattern in which, we, which he can use us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. You know the story. He has this infirmity. He prays the Lord would take it away from him three times, right? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, listen, in your weakness. God's power is perfected in our weakness. In other words, God's power is manifested when we recognize that we are weak. The Bible says in Romans that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And the issue is where sin was made much of, grace will be made much of. Where our weakness is made much of, where our frailties are made much of, where our inabilities are made much of, God's power will also be made much of. If we walk through life thinking that we are powerful, we are strong, we are wise, we have it all together, then God's power and God's wisdom and God's strength will be minimized. But when we maximize our weaknesses, it maximizes his strength. Why is it that the devil is working so hard every day to get us to maximize our strengths? Because then it minimizes his. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me Paul makes the assumption that when I boast in my frailties, God's power rests on me. And may I submit to you that the opposite is also true. When I boast in my strengths, God's power will not rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. James 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, but it gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How can we participate, if you will, in what God is doing in our lives? We, number one, give him our bodies, put ourselves in situations and circumstances where God can use us. Not run from those situations and circumstances, but put ourselves in those situations and circumstances so that God can use us. Prepare your mind, put things into your mind that God can draw off of. Remember this, it doesn't mean that you draw off of them. That's the danger often, isn't it? Anybody ever give your body in a situation, prepare your mind, and then get in there and argue and fight, and, and you were drawing off of those things? Remember this, the Holy Spirit has to be the one that draws it. It's the Holy Spirit's work. 
all you're doing is, is you're preparing the situation. You're entering into the situation, but don't get in front of the Holy Spirit. And then number three is just be humble. Just be humble. Jesus says if he is lifted up, right? If he is lifted up, if Jesus Christ is exalted, whether it be on the cross or whether it be Jesus Christ being exalted through you, what will he do? He will draw all men unto himself. And how is Jesus Christ exalted most? He's exalted most by the fact that he saved sinners. Not that he saved righteous people. Jesus Christ is exalted by the fact that he saved sinners. And when we exalt in how horrible we were before Jesus Christ got a hold of us, it magnifies and glorifies the extent and the nature and the power of his salvation. When I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the work that you do in our lives, the, the sovereign work that is, begins with our being chosen, moves to our being, sins, our sins being paid for, and then our being given new life by the Spirit and Lord, our sanctification and one day our glorification and all, all of this work is your work. Help us, Lord God, to see it that way. Help us to give our lives to you, to be willing to put ourselves in situations or circumstances, Lord God, where you can use these bodies to do something that is valuable, to fill our minds with the things that you want to use and draw off of in those situations, to put ourselves in a situation where we're walking in holiness so that the spirit of God might be prominent and not the flesh. And Lord, help us to walk in humility, to walk in a way that you can bless, that your grace can be significant and amazing. We pray that you would just take us home, Lord God, today with these thoughts and that you would be working even this week in our lives, in us and through us. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus Christ's name.